Hey everybody, welcome back to the big show. This is as Lutheran as it gets. And as always, we are your co-host, Pastor Christopher Gillespie. Now a member of the Frozen Tundra. Up north right. with welcome. you. Yeah. Welcome. I know. You wouldn't think, you know, a little over two hours north would that make such a big difference, but uh, apparently it a does. A bit. Yeah, a <laughs> bit. It's even more acute when you go from San Diego to Chicago to your move to Wisconsin. Oh, yeah, just that's to, true. I did that. Just and to draw that climate change out, just to make you think twice. Was that really the best decision? <laughs> uh, actually, it is. I mean, we've talked about air quality before. Um, right. No, everything. Noise yeah, pollution, sure. light pollution. Like, there's there's stars yeah. here. I've never seen those. Right? <laughs> yeah. I know, right? <laughs> what are those things in the sky, Daddy? Those are angels, honey. Those are angels. <laughs> They're glowing. That's their eyes twinkling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're watching you. Well, and there's other things like wildlife, you know, like ducks and geese and deer and pigs and cows. I'm, I don't know. I, I, mm. I, I guess... I. I think we've talked about this too on the show, but uh, you know, it's not natural to live in a city. I'm convinced. No, it's not. And most social scientists will agree that. Well, one, living in these mega these mega cities now, these mm. metropolises, is a very recent invention for the most part. It was kind of an anomaly in the past to have something that big. But also, no, we're we're designed to live amongst groups of no le- no more than a hundred, and usually around fifty to sixty. Yeah, I mean, the town population here is, well, we just upped it about 1%, but uh, (laughs) it's a little over uh, 1,600 within the town limits, which is, I mean, that's actually pretty big, biblically Mm. speaking. Sure. It's a lot of people. No, and if you read any book, uh, Sebastian Junger's book, Tribe, or listen to any of his interviews, Mm -hmm. um, or watch any of his interviews on YouTube, he's done a lot of work with this. He'll point this out. Malcolm Gladwell is another, what do you want to call it, social critic or however, a thinker, yeah. public intellectual. He's done this talking about like books like Outliers, for example, mm-hmm. that were just, and as a pastor, I can attest to this. I've I've been a pastor of a small congregation now for 10 years, and I've spoken at large congregations extensively the past 10 years. I've traveled. And yeah, I mean, just other than the practical implications of pastoring a larger congregation, pastoring a small congregation i know everyone intimately mm-hmm. uh, they can they have access to me i'm available both in church and the community for them all the time uh, for good bad and indifferent and yet we're very tribal in my congregation and there's a sense of ownership yeah. that these are my people and they say this is my pastor and the we fight and we laugh and we mourn and we do everything together and the reason that we can is because in one sense, we can't escape from each other, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, both in church and in the community. You can't sit on the other side of the church and ignore another person in church and never talk to them. Right. Because we're just, just physically, it's a very intimate setting. And thus, anything that happens that's worthy of praise or lament, we're in it. We're yeah. kind of forced to be in it because we can't afford to not be. We'll die. Like in, in very real terms, we will die if we are not united. Well, and uh, I've seen this manifest in the congregation that I'm serving where they have a random lake mailing address, and that's where we're living. But the congregation itself identifies as being a part of Sherman Center, which is this uh, old term. You just, it was the center of the township, right? And so Mm. they're, you know, I don't know how many houses and how many farms. And they're the only church of Sherman Center. Because there's not room for more than one church. But But the advantage of that is, 
you know, that's their, they take ownership of it. That's their community, mm-hmm. you know. Right, um, right. And that's where you go. That's their, that, that's your location. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. where you live, you go to Sherman Center. And, right. Uh, so it becomes a destination, if you like. Um, mm-hmm. But your faith gets wrapped up in that. That's your, those yes. are your people, that's your community, and it's built right. around the church. And it's a beautiful thing. Well, and as you said, well, one, you get to slow down. Mm-hmm. And two, at least where I live at, we still have some farmers and farms. We still have dairy and some livestock. And it roots you to the earth. It roots you to creation a little bit more firmly than living in the city when you're more transient and there's less connection to what's real in the sense of the earth and the harvest, planting, uh, the growth of animals, the death of animals, uh, of having a garden, for example. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, something as simple as sitting on your back deck at night and staring up and seeing the stars. Again, we talked in the last episode about the theology of the Psalms. There you go. The, the, the whole universe praises its creator. And yeah, in the city, when you have smog cover, you don't see the stars. And so that and light can become pollution an too. Yeah. And light pollution and noise pollution and everything that goes with it. And a lot of these things that they talk about in the Psalms can become abstractions. Yeah. Or something that you only entertain when you're on vacation, or that you see in a in a uh, Thomas Kincaid painting or something. Right, right. So, and actually, that's a nice segue into what uh, we're gonna. And actually, I'm Donovan Riley. I'm the other host. If you didn't know that, if you're listening for the first time, mm-hmm. what are you doing? Go back and listen to all the episodes. Yeah, I'm glad to be the predator. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's that's a nice segue into what we're going to read in the Catechism Prayer Book this week. Last week, we read about the Holy Spirit, at mm-hmm. least the first part of that. This week, we're going to dive into the seventh petition of the Lord's Prayer, but deliver us from evil, because one of the reasons I wanted to is to give you a second uh, taste of the Catechism Prayer Book. If you like it, and when you hear this, it'll be around Thanksgiving. So, you know, make it a Black Friday kind of purchase for Christmas for family or friends. You can get this on Kindle. You can get this in um, paperback. Right. Buy, buy a set the, for your church. Use it for a set, Bible buy study. Buy a set maybe. for church, 100%. Buy one for your church. Because as we discussed in the last episode, not only is this great for personal devotions, but this would be a great prayer book liturgically. Right. right. Yeah. And it would be great for your pastor for his pastoral care itself. Because at least in the third article, I can see myself sitting down with folks in almost any circumstance and praying through that. Yeah, because it drives you back to faith in Christ alone. It does. It really does. And so with the petition on deliver us from evil, one of the things I wanted to reflect on as we read this is I was taught that the the Lord's Prayer is where the theologian of the cross comes home to roost. That's where the literally where the theology of the cross is worked out in the Christian's life. Hmm. It's outlined by Jesus in the Lord's Prayer. So that not only is the Lord's Prayer a summary of Scripture, that is a summary of the entire Old Testament, but it's also a summary of the entire Christian life. Yeah. And you remember uh, how often Luther instructs us to pray that prayer in the Catechism. Right, right. Right, morning and evening, at every meal, uh, in in any time of need, right? Mm -hmm. And to riff off of something C.S. Lewis said, I think it might have been a mere Christianity, it's been a while. His wife once remarked, why do you always pray the Lord's Prayer? It's so rote. It's almost moot at this point. Why bother? It it just it essentially essentially what she was saying is it's just dead faith because you're not praying spontaneously. Yeah, and you're just, just praying the same words over and over. It's like a, just a, a, a termination. It's like a period, right? Right. Versus what 
what and this is what Lewis helped me appreciate is no it's actually the opposite it's it's a living faith because i can sit down and meditate on one word of this prayer and the next time i pray it i will meditate on a different clause or word and the next time a different or i'll come back to the same word but i'll meditate on something completely different this time yeah and <laughs> is it a rope prayer absolutely uh, but yes. remember it comes out of the out of the conversation jesus has with his disciples right <laughs> or it's, teaches it's, how to pray and he says when you pray this, right this is what you pray it is the it is the actual concrete yeah. word of god this is what your prayers look who like who speaks it and gives it yeah he's the giver of the prayer and he is wrapped in the prayer itself mm-hmm and is there a context where it's not appropriate? I think that's the other question. I mean, we right. pray it in multiple contexts. Like I said, in need, right. at meals, um, especially at the Lord's Supper, right? Right. Uh, at baptism. I, I mean, we pray it all over the I place. I was going to say, I, I would argue out of the Christian questions with their answers for this as well. Mm-hmm. You know, put your fingers to your to your wrist or your neck. Do you have a pulse? Are you in the flesh? Look around. Is there still a sinful world filled with evil? Is the devil still at you day and night? Then... It's a good time to pray the Lord's Prayer. Yep, yep, yeah. And so uh, the I jumped the segue, but living in a small community, like we were saying, being very tribal in the context of a smaller congregation, the, the, not only is the way in which we pray does that inform our piety and and also just our life in general, but how do we use our baptism? How do we pray the Lord's Prayer in the context of our vocations, where we bear our crosses? Because that is where the theology of the cross, the theologian of the cross specifically is made. There's actually no such thing as a theology of the cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It can't be systematized. The Holy Spirit makes theologians of the cross through suffering and affliction, as Luther himself would argue. And therefore, when we pray this prayer, we are praying it in the midst of cross-bearing, suffering, struggle, and affliction. Yeah. And we have um, and experience evil every day right. i mean whether it's a wildfire right. in california mm-hmm. i mean the worst wildfire in the history oh my goodness right it's, the campfire it's horrific yeah uh is that evil absolutely uh what's the result you know where that evil come from mm-hmm. <laughs> us uh yeah we're responsible for that not not right. necessarily directly although you well, and according I to our president it's the forest services fault but oh good night <laughs> he's such an encourager uh but great evil that way but uh you know evil in our lives you know we're victims of evil often um correct and but there there is of course the greatest evil death which we all experience mm-hmm. right right and the evil one let's not forget and the evil one because in the lord's prayer that is actually a pronoun mm-hmm. again drawing on the old testament there's no such thing as evil in a general sense in Israelite theology. There's the evil one. There are righteous people. And unfortunately, this is my critique again of the ESV and other English translations, they just take the pronouns out. Yeah, They take out the indefinite pronouns. So it's the righteous. No, it's a specific prayer in a specific context. They're praying for righteous ones in the land against the evil one or evil ones who come against them. These are real flesh and blood people. This is the evil one, this fallen angel. Mm Mm-hmm that the psalmist is naming yeah. or that is named in the Old Testament. And therefore, to reduce them to a set of abstract principles like evil, righteousness, good, holiness, no, that's completely wrong. Mm-hmm. There is no such thing as holiness in Israel apart from God, period. Right. God is holy, holy is God. Therefore, to be a holy people is to literally be with God in his presence. Well, we didn't talk about it in the last episode because uh, it wasn't part of... Uh... Mm-hmm. The actual prayer there, it comes in a, another part, but the 
you know, communion of saints. It's it, mm-hmm. that's one way you could translate it, but it's it's the communio sanctorum, right? So it's the communion right. of the holy. Yes, right. So the it's the holy people, one. The holy it's ones, the holy spirit. Yes. It's the holy people. It's right. the holy gifts all wrapped right. up together. Right. Right. Not just right. the saints. Hundred mm-hmm. percent. So when we pray, deliver us from evil in the city. There's a particular context mm. in Chicago. Maybe that involves shootings. Mm. Yeah. And just the widespread rampant death toll that's just, you look at it and it's almost become a, a, a theater of the absurd at this point. You almost have to laugh at, the, at just the, the tragedy and the horror of it all because it's just so common and ordinary. Well, I had a retired cop in the congregation tell me, um, you know, I'm looking at the forecast, um, mm-hmm. you know, and we're, I'm, I'm guessing we'll have a dozen shootings on Saturday because it's going to be too hot. Right. And you're like, right. Uh, 100%. How do you know that? Right. It, it happens. AC right. you know, shuts off or blackouts or whatever. Right. And then you just Versus start shooting here, each other. Ugh. And my kids my kids think this is amazing, but I grew up being taught this. Here, you step out in the morning, I stick my nose up in the air and I smell. Hmm. You smell for the weather. And that'll tell you whether the harvest is going to be early or late. It tells you whether you're going to be out in the field today or not. It tells you whether you need to you know, take your lawn furniture and put it in the garage and put tarp over your, your garden. You can smell it out in the country. You can smell the air. You can smell the barometric pressure. You can smell the vegetation coming up off the ground. And you can stick your finger in the dirt and you can see where the frost line is at just by sticking your finger in the dirt. Well, it was like uh, the the village guy came by and they were vacuuming up all the leaves out of the street and they were, right. they were doing it all day solid on Friday. Mm-hmm. And, right. and then I talked to him. I'm like, what's, he's like, you need to get these boxes in. I'm like, why? It's going to snow tomorrow. Yes, and right. it, and it's exactly that. You could smell it. Mm-hmm. It was there. He knew. Right. Yeah, it's going to snow tomorrow. I mean, there's no question. Right. It was going to snow tomorrow. Right. You know. So, and to the point, and then we'll dive in. When there's a death in a small community, it creates a rip in the very fabric of the community itself. You can actually feel it. It's palpable. Yeah, and it's then the, and body. And you usually see one or two follow. Right. And you do by way of suicide, by way of overdose. Mm. however it may look in the city when it happens it's so quote-unquote common so ordinary that you don't almost recognize how how overwhelming how profound that tear is yeah death was in the air so to speak right in fact death is the air that you breathe in some neighborhoods in chicago Mm -hmm. for sure yeah whereas when it happens in a small community we treat it as if it's an aberration it's abnormal Hmm. and yet no, it's not. Yeah, it's really it's not. It's almost contagious. <laughs> yes, in a certain sense it is. Mm. And thus we pray, deliver us from evil. Right. What does this mean? We pray in this petition, in summary, that our Father in heaven would rescue us from every evil of body and soul, possessions and reputation. And finally, when our last hour comes, give us a blessed end. And graciously take us from this valley of sorrow to himself in heaven. I quote that probably more than any other line from the catechism. That he would take us from this valley of tears is one of the earlier translations. Mm -hmm. But that we pray that God would take us from this valley of tears to himself, to to Christ in heaven. Um, I say that in the prayers of every funeral. I say that every uh, when I pray with folks in hospice in the hospital. Because... To me, it's such a elegant turn of phrase by Luther to sum up our entire existence. Yeah, and it's like it's kind of like the Psalm, right? Where um, right, uh, but and you also have 
you know, the the veil of darkness, or the thick veil mm-hmm. of darkness. I like that one yeah. too. That's Isaiah right. as well. Right. You know, the but pall it, that is cast over the people. Right. And and often, or maybe not so often, depending, people will accuse me of being negative or pessimistic. Hmm when I say things like this and what I'm pointing out is I'm not saying there's no good in the world. I'm not saying that there's nothing to look forward to. There's nothing to hope for in the world. What I'm saying is though this, this world is a valley of sorrow. It's a valley of tears. And just like the Ecclesiastes, just like Kohelet, the preacher says in the end, it's all useless (laughs) because you can't take it with you. Yeah. And everything you strive after will still end the same way. Even your legacy, even the things you leave behind, see the same, seem the same decay and destruction. Right. Mm -hmm. God willing, you live long enough to see younger people undo everything you've worked for. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that's probably like, like Andrew uh, Carnegie, right? Or Carnegie, mm -hmm. however you want to say it. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, You know, his libraries still kind of stand around, but uh, right. You know, even those will eventually be gone. Yeah. Like the library in Alexandria. Mm, that's right. All right. Mm. And thus, it it to me, basically, what it does is it it motivates me and focuses me on that I'm not permanent and my children aren't permanent. My wife, my relationships, this congregation, we're not permanent. And therefore, every day be grateful. Every day um, make the decision in the moment and not put off till tomorrow what can be done today, which I think is actually Carpe diem, right? <laughs> well, it's also a proverb, right? That, um, Or Jesus himself says it, that tomorrow has enough to worry about yeah. for itself. Yeah. Because there is only the now. God gives us to the day, literally. And it. I was just listening to Jordan Peterson this morning point out, if you're miserable today, in five years, you're going to be more miserable. Mm-hmm. Because every day you decide... I'm comfortable being miserable. That's another day that you're building toward this great realization, this kind of existential aha moment. Mm-hmm. The reason I'm miserable is because every day I've made the decision to stay in my misery, to be stuck in my misery. To make, I mean, can you break it always? Not necessarily, but to, no. to not even try. Right. <laughs> Is, right. to, is to not view the day as a gift, right, from and God. He, when he was talking about in context of your job, mm, if you're okay. miserable in your job and there's all these reasons that you can't leave it, whether it's your family, you got to pay the bills, whatever it might be. Or you can't reform it or change it or mm-hmm. you know, right. do it differently. Yeah, Right. It comes down to, I'm miserable. There's nothing I can do to change this. You become fatalistic. Mm-hmm. You become deterministic about it. This is just the way it is. You have this one monolithic view of the world and your life as it fits into the world or doesn't. And it creates this nihilism or this fatalism that I'm hopeless and and I'm a hopeless case and life is hopeless. And all of that is in a theological uh, way of looking at it is that's the old Adam recognizing that the world isn't fair and that ultimately we have no control over our fate or our destiny. And thus he throws his hands up and like a child simply sits down and says, I quit. I refuse to clean my room. I'm not eating my Brussels sprouts. I'm not playing your game. I'm going to take my ball and go home. Yeah. In contrast to that, Luther and his explanation is, is, is saying, yes, uh, I'm, 
according to your will, I'm in this moment now. Yeah, you've given right. me this moment, and and my prayer is that you would deliver me from whatever right. evil might I might experience in this moment. That I, right. you know, you could say that I may enjoy it. Um, Absolutely, you know, I am free. I am so free that I don't have to worry about whether my works are going to earn me any demerits or demerits in relation to God. Mm-hmm. Now, some take that as an excuse to justify sin. Well, I'm free. I don't have to work to justify myself. And they'll say, well, you're just you're just basically saying, well, now I don't have to worry. I can do whatever I want because God won't judge me for my works. Versus, well, no, but thank you for making a confession of sin to me <laughs> of what's in your own heart yeah. and what you're struggling with. Rather, I take that as you are now free to be grateful. You are free to live a life of discipline, to take responsibility and be accountable for your words and your actions, mm-hmm. to think about your legacy to th- think about it this way, and I know this is a rabbit trail, but we're on it, is that very simply put, if I dedicate myself to being the best father I can be for my children mm-hmm. every day mm-hmm. and doing what is necessary to change myself, reform myself, grow, and become better as a father for my children, my children then have a positive role model mm-hmm. in which they can follow that I didn't have and that I have now changed the lives of five people, hopefully for the better, let's say, that they grew up in a, in, a, in a family that enjoys gratitude, discipline, perseverance, self-control, responsibility individually and for the family, for the congregation, for the community. Then those five people go into the world and then they are blessed, let's say, with families of their own and with children of their own and they carry these values forward. Mm-hmm. And now my legacy goes from my wife and I have chosen to break this cycle of violence and abuse that has been going on for generations right. and go in a different direction. And within two generations, let's say, God willing, this is what we pray for, 20, 50, 100, 1,000, 10,000 people have been changed simply by the decision of one person and this other person. Yeah. So that is one of the ways through the vocation of fatherhood that that the right. Lord rescues um, generations of civilization from yeah. evil of body and soul possessions and reputation, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so let's dive into what Pastor Buto then has to say here because Which may or again, may not be the same thing that we were just saying. <laughs> right. <laughs> Dear Father in heaven, at the hour of his death, your son commended his spirit into your hands. Teach me to live each day doing the same, commending myself to your care and grace in Jesus Christ. Teach me every night to fall asleep in peace, free from worry, doubt, fear, or any other disturbance of my conscience and faith. Guard me from every evil thing that would frighten me or terrify me or turn me away from Jesus. As your son has promised that nothing can snatch me from your hand, therefore keep such a hold on me in Christ unto my dying day that I may never fear being cut off from you and destroyed. Hmm. Rescue me now and my whole life long from every evil of the body. Protect me from illness and sickness, from accident and injury, from suffering of mind and body. I know that these things will come, Father, but I ask that you will prevent them from driving me to despair and dragging me away from faith and trust in you. This is a point you and I have talked about it, and Mm -hmm. I... 
I'm going to put this bluntly, and I don't mean this as an insult. So for those of you listening, I'm not criticizing you, but I'm pointing out an observation I've made and that has been affirmed consistently the past 21 years of my life in this church. Pastors are the most unhealthy people I've ever met. Yeah. Physically. Yeah. Physically unhealthy, mentally and emotionally unhealthy. Often spiritually, spiritually yeah. unhealthy. Yeah. And I'll include myself in that. I'm not exerting myself. I'm not mm-hmm. standing on the other side of the street pointing a finger. That because I was reflecting on this this morning, I sent you that video from David Goggins, yeah, about the path, run that running path, and sitting on that stone when he was 300 pounds. Now he's a retired Navy SEAL. He runs ultra marathons. I love David Goggins. He motivates me. That two years ago, I made a decision, a simple decision, that I was unhappy with the way that I ate. I was unhappy with my sleeping patterns. I was unhappy with my overall life. And what I wanted to do by way of change was going to be hard and was going to hurt. (laughs) More than just physically, it was going to hurt. Mm -hmm. But the reason I wanted to do it, because I was sick and tired of talking and thinking and praying about the person I wanted to be for my wife, my children, and my congregation, and my community, but I wasn't doing it. Mm -hmm. And I knew what I needed to do but I was afraid. I was afraid. Mm. It was fear. Fear was the one factor that prevented me from making the changes. And when I said it out loud, finally to my wife, she said, I've been thinking the exact same thing. And so she did it with me and we did it together. And the same thing is that I prayed over and over, protect me from illness and sickness, accident and injury, suffering of mind and body. And yet I did nothing to take advantage of the gifts that God has given mm-hmm. me in a first article sense yeah, to do right. it. Yeah, the Father so I put, given. Sure. I put junk in my body and therefore I was somehow shocked that junk came out of my brain, came out of my mouth, came out of my actions. And yet when I cut out the junk, shockingly to nobody, I stopped thinking garbage. I stopped speaking garbage. I stopped living a garbage kind of life. Mm-hmm. All right. And, uh, and not surprisingly, then my children looked at me and went, you're different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In fact, I, I think I told you, I can't remember if I mentioned this on the podcast, about a month ago, we were driving home from jujitsu and my daughter said, yeah, you haven't yelled at us in like two years. And I said, really? And everyone went, uh-huh, like in unison. It was almost like a choir, it was like an amen. And I said, really, you noticed that stuff? And they're like, oh yeah, you used to yell a lot. Yeah, because you were uh, physically... Under such right. great stress, and then you yeah. know the mind-body connection, right? Right. Yeah, the gut-brain connection. Good. Yeah, exactly. It manifested itself in right. anger and violence, and yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And this goes to my point of we we talk about using our baptism in our vocations, and yet when it comes to our actual first article vocations, again we talk a good game, we talk a pious game. But do we actually use our baptism in our vocations in such a way that we recognize God has given us gifts, mm-hmm. given the whole world gifts, given our neighbor gifts, given me? I am a gift to my neighbor. My neighbor is a gift to me. Mm-hmm. And my daughter just turned one this past week, which means I'm 47, going on 48 next summer. If I'm not here for my daughter, to me, that's the most selfish thing I can do is not live a life that prepares me to be here for my daughter, be like fully present for my daughter, not just when she's one, but when she's 18. Right. And then along with that, your prayer is deliver me from evil, especially evil death that right. would take me from evil her death. and providing exactly. for her. Yeah. Exactly. So again, pray. I pray that God would stop me from killing myself mm-hmm. through unhealthy choices and an unhealthy life, that he would prevent me from killing my neighbor 
that is my congregation whom I serve, mm-hmm. my children and so forth, but also my neighbors in my community. Right. Because I wrestled with this for a long time, and this goes back to what I mentioned about being the old guy all of a sudden for young pastors, is for a long time, I hated the fact that people looked at me as a leader and wanted me to be a leader. Mm-hmm. I hated the fact that people wanted me to be strong. They wanted me to be accountable for my words and my actions because I wasn't raised that way. I was raised by two parents who basically had a moral weather vane for morality. It was always, it's somebody else's fault. Playing, playing the abused victim kind of card. Well, uh, victimization, problematization, right? The problem, problematization. And what I mean by that is when you have a hammer in your hand, eventually everything looks like a nail. Mm. When you create problems for yourself, eventually everything is a problem. Even a good gift, even a, a tool like that can be used for abuse. Even a good gift is a problem because now you're like, oh, oh, great. Now I've got this money mm. and I know what's going to happen. <laughs> People are going to start asking for handouts and something's going to break. This is the old Adam's superstition coming out, right? right? Can't name the baby until they're born because they might die. And then I have this name and all this, this stuff that we do right. to attempt. Essentially, it's our attempt to avoid the reality of death mm. in ourselves, in our, in our relationships and in the world. Yeah. And yet deliver us from evil encapsulates this in a nutshell. Right is God gives you gifts, first article gifts and third article gifts, and they overlap in your vocation. And so we ask that the Father will prevent them from driving me to despair and dragging me away from faith and trust in you. Rescue me also from every evil of the soul. Protect me from every false teaching and every evil argument given to persuade me to turn away from you and your word. Deliver me from everything that would cause me to despair of your grace in Christ, to lose faith in him, and to perish eternally apart from Jesus. And there you go. There's the other side. Mm -hmm. And here's the overlap. Let's say you don't eat healthy. Let's say you don't sleep well. Mm -hmm. Let's say you don't take care of yourself. So guess what? Come Sunday, that's your day to sleep in. That's your day to recover and recuperate. That's your day when you hit that snooze button and say, you know what? The pillow is just too comfortable. It's cold outside and I've got this comforter pulled up high over over my face. Mm -hmm. I'll go next week. Yeah. Why? Because you lack discipline. Right. Because you don't want to take responsibility for yourself. I was going to say that, um, you know, as much as we're critical of the scriptures and their talk against like drunkenness and gluttony Mm -hmm. um, and... I mean, that's what it is. It's a lack of yes. discipline as to yes. what you're receiving. And right. that 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 can work in a both, what do you want to say, like a positive and a negative sense, right? Yes. You can receive yes. too much of a bad thing, but you can receive too little of a good thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. You allow, the, you allow your sinful flesh in the world and the devil to persuade you to stay in bed, to make the wrong choices that add up to, and I, I'm speaking from experience, both for myself and for members of my own congregation, whom I've spoken with about this. Mm-hmm. It's not that they lack faith, they don't. It's not that they don't hunger and thirst for the gifts, they do. And yet the world in particular, and by the world I mean their spouse, their children, their job, their neighbors, their family, whatever it may be, they allow these things to get between them and the altar and them in the pulpit, and them in fellowship. Because they know if I don't get there on Sunday, especially if it two or three weeks go by of me not getting there, my schedule gets messed up. It gets mixed up. I start making more and more excuses for why I'm not there. Right. 
and eventually I'm just not there. Yeah, and unless you've actually gone through that, you might not believe that that's what yeah, happens. Right, but right. It's consistent. It's pattern. It's one hundred percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that uh, episode of or that skit from Portlandia where uh, they start watching Battlestar Galactica. <laughs> and they feel like forget to pay the bills and the, that's right the shower yeah, yeah. and because right, they're binge watching uh Battlestar Galactica. yes that's yeah. right then the lights shut off and so then they can't watch tv you know because they didn't pay the power yeah. bill. yeah <laughs> that's right uh but it's an example i mean there it is they yes. neglect everything that actually matters to them or isn't right. is even needed by them for the right. sake of this well, thing. and we have such a paltry appreciation for first article gifts. You and I have talked about this before when we read the Peter's commentaries mm, on the catechism. Right. We have such an anemic appreciation for first article gifts. In fact, it is always a temptation to turn everything into a matter of faith. Mm. Everything has to be a matter of faith. Everything. So what I eat is a matter of faith. Well, no, it's not, but it does actually overlap with matters of faith if it prevents you from hearing the gospel and appreciating the gifts. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, 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 when, as we started off with, you can appreciate the stars in the sky. You can appreciate the the smell of the harvest in the air. You can appreciate the frost line mm-hmm. as gifts from God insofar as you are grounded in the, what, this, this prayer and the piety of this prayer and the theology of this prayer. Mm-hmm. And the reality that, yes, everything in this world is transitory and not temporary and will die. And yet Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And then and we see that, you know, like yes. in, the, in the farm community, right? I mean, right. The, the, the seed sprouts in the spring again. Yes, yes. <laughs> the trees Less come. fall and, to the ground and die. Yeah, the trees come out in leaves, the flowers bloom. Mm-hmm. Um, there is resurrection even, you know, he yes. gives us that. First article gift, yes. it's the world. Yes. But it yeah. reveals the truth of, yes. you know, one man die for the sins of the world right. and rise again. And again, in the language of the Psalms, the theology of the Psalms, as we touched upon in the third article podcast, this is a... F- this is right there in the theology of the Psalms, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. The creation theology, the theology of creation, this, the, the whole creation proclaims the majesty of God, the glory of God. It points you to Christ, right. crucified and, for you. And then he uses elements, first article elements, yeah, you know, right. like like the, the, the bow in the sky, right? Yeah. As, yeah. as a witness that he mm-hmm. will not destroy the world in such a and way. And he uses human beings, mm-hmm. and he uses water, and he uses bread and wine. Yes, he uses it all because he made it, and he likes it, so he uses it. Mm-hmm. As an That's instrument. That's what you do with gifts. Yeah. yeah, as an instrument. So to continue, be my protection against every evil of my possessions. Deliver me from tragedy and disaster and anything else that would rob me of the means by which I live my daily bread, my clothing, and food, and shelter. There you go. Mm-hmm. Should you permit such things to come upon me, then preserve me in the faith and provide me whatever I need for this body and life. That's a key point too, is mm-hmm. when you don't have plenty, or you don't believe that you have plenty, or you can actually just look at the ribs and count them because you have so little. Nonetheless, this is again the cross that you're bearing. And you pray that you would be preserved in the faith and that the Lord would provide for you the bread that leads to eternal life Mm -hmm. and the water that is a medicine for your soul, not just your physical needs, because to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
Yeah, I and, mean, look at the maybe the faith of uh, poor Lazarus at the rich man's gates, yes, right? Yes, you know, yes. doesn't even have anyone to care for him. Uh, maybe right. the dogs, I guess, in a way, sure. right, are licking his right. wounds, but um, dies with nothing effectively, uh, but yet mm -hmm. has everything needed. And I would say, at least at the present tense, that one of the great causes of atheism, or the one one of the things that drives people to atheism to entertain it, at least, is this point: that I lack bread. I lack food and clothing. I lack shelter. This tragedy, the wildfires in California or the hurricanes in the Gulf Coast, mm -hmm. wherever, whatever it may be, shootings. We just had another shooting in California. Right. Now. Yeah. yeah. And people look around and go, why is this happening? Well, you and I know why it's happening. Mm -hmm. Big picture. And even in the smaller picture. And yet, there's because there's no resolution to it we can't control the outcome we can't control people we're constantly attempting to bandage it or divert attention away from the real cause because something like mental illness for example is something that we can't control it can't be cured no. and therefore let's not talk about mental illness let's talk about something we can control or something that we can cure let's outlaw straws to save the environment for mm -hmm. example that'll help well, well, well. Multinational corporations dump their sewage into the ocean, right? Yeah, and it, and having no one else to blame, then let's at right. least blame God. Let's then blame God exactly. And this is why you, our friend of ours, pointed out: it's not that we have arguments about God right now. People, people aren't arguing about belief in God, but there are a lot of religious people right now. A lot of religious people mm -hmm. constructing religions out of everything from book clubs to martial arts to even. Christianity, they're turning that into a religion. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as if there was no such thing as an agnostic. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, not anymore. Veganism, diets, health, and what, I mean, the, as you pointed out, the first article, gifts can be used for our good, or they can destroy us. We can go either way with these things, and quite often, simultaneous. Yeah, you either, you either worship the creator or the creature, right? Right, 100%. And and uh, well and to be a, a blunt as a Lutheran we do both simultaneously. Mm. That's that's yeah. the tension that we wish would be kind of lifted from us, and yet this is why we pray the Lord's Prayer. Can't we just call the golden calf Yahweh? And, right, yeah. exactly. Kind of I mean, it. it's not like we hyphenated it and called it Yahweh hyphen Horus or anything. I mean, <laughs> t okay, fine, we did. We call okay, you know, it was those gods that brought us out of Egypt, and okay, we get it. But did you have to make us drink it? <laughs> <laughs> that's insult to injury yeah. that was the reading yesterday for the one-year lectionary from exodus and it took all of my willpower not to start laughing <laughs> while i was reading it because you and i know the punchline, and our people always forget the readings right so i'm trying not to laugh because it's very serious but that last line i couldn't help but almost growl with a smile because it's just <laughs> and then he made them ground it up and then he made them put it in the water and then he made them drink it <laughs> this is the word of the lord and everyone's like thanks thanks be to god <laughs> yes that's what we should we got to bring that practice back in church we're going to make you drink your false gods uh. yep kale shakes for everybody <laughs> <laughs> So to continue then, should you permit such things to come upon me, preserve me in the faith, provide me whatever I need for this body and life, deliver me also, Father, from every evil of reputation. Mm -hmm. Give to me as your child in Christ honor and a good name among all people, believers and unbelievers alike, so that I may give no offense 
and cause no one to stumble. Guard me from all wickedness that would ruin my reputation, such that I become a stumbling block to others. Rather, preserve me in Christ, and, no matter what anyone might say or do against me, let their words and actions not cause me to fall away, but let my refuge and strength be in Jesus. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, and reputation matters. Um, I know we'd like to think it doesn't, but uh, think of like... Come uh, talk to me. Well, think about St. Paul, right? And he he appears before, what, the governor? Uh, Right. And Cyrus was his name? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, Uh, On Cyprus or the governor who was Cyrus? Yeah, either way. Uh, And they say, you know, look at how they love one another, right? Correct. You know, and that's where, where their reputation actually gets bound up in the gospel, right? Yes, yes. You know, and the reputation of the church does matter. <laughs> I experienced it this really acutely, does. Uh, you know, with this congregation yeah. that had um, earned hmm, right a bad reputation uh, through right. some previous actions, and how mm-hmm. much intentional effort and mm-hmm. um, really good intentions mm-hmm. uh, right. are required, good actions really uh, to restore right. that reputation. Right, and. Great respect again to Pastor Buto for following Luther in working the second table of the law into this prayer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and recognizing, yeah, this is this is important, and this is covered by Luther, and how again Luther in his writings will overlap, and he'll loop back on himself, but then loop forward on himself, right? And always be working different angles into the other parts of the catechism from within the sections themselves, even within one clause or one turn of phrase. Right. So what we what we cannot do in the Ten Commands, we ask mm-hmm. God to do in us in the prayer. Right, 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 right. And at least for myself, and I'm sure for many others, when we pray this this petition, we don't often consider the evil of ruining someone's name and reputation, mm-hmm. both in the church, in the community, in our homes, whatever it may be. But again, going back to what I was saying, I got to stop saying and again. It's become like a nervous tick that I do without paying attention. Yeah. It's my it's my like. I say, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. We all have it. It just it annoys me when I listen back to these and go, oh man, I did that like five times in a minute. Um, <laughs> I edit some of them out even. <laughs> thank you. Because in my mind, <laughs> I'm thinking of this in my mind. So in my mind, I'm thinking, I've already said this. So I'm getting myself, but sometimes I notice I didn't actually say something that I'm referring back to out loud. Hmm. So I apologize to the listeners if, if that bothers you. It we're all on we're on your wavelength. We're trying. There we go. We're following. Oh, dear Lord. <laughs> Tabs Alvo. Um, that in my own life, and many of you listening know this, I've been... Uh, I've had my name and reputation attacked and destroyed on social media mm-hmm. and in the church, in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. And have I contributed to that? 100%. Mm-hmm. Have I agitated and trolled? 100% in the past I've done that. In fact, one of the reasons that I deactivated my social media accounts, one of the reasons I deleted my blog was to no longer cause offense or become a stumbling block for others. Yeah. Lead us because I re- into temptation. Well, right. <laughs> yeah. Because I recognized I, I'm trying to control other people, but I'm not practicing self-control. Hmm. And as one person said, try to change your own heart, and then you'll recognize how difficult it is to change others. Hmm. And so rather than try and control other people and persuade and argue my way into a good reputation or, or a good name, I said, nope, I'm going to step back and I'm only going to work on what I have control over, which is myself. And to the point then, 
Now, amongst the people I train with, as I've mentioned before, agnostics and atheists will come to church and they'll be a part of the Bible study. They'll even be a part of worship. And I've detailed that in previous episodes. Mm -hmm. Why? Because my name carries value to them, my reputation carries respect with it amongst them. And then when they come to the church, the church itself now gets respect from them for their way of interacting with these folks who aren't Christian. They're not God-fearing believers. And yet, because we receive them as gifts, we receive them for what they are, gifts from God, to what? Well, to encourage us to actually make a good confession. Right. Well, and you know this is the case. Some some pastors are they're, they're, the way that they care for their people is received. They're received as the stumbling block, right? That they set up mm-hmm. barriers to the faith. They're the sure. they're the grouchy pastor, or they're the one right. who won't let so and so commune, or what, whatever their reputation right, is. Right. Uh, whereas you know, I think the reputation you ought to have is the one who takes down, who removes the stumbling block. Right. What you know? can we do? What can I do? What can we do to clear away all of the hurdles that stand between you and Walking through the doors of our congregation, yeah, and Not let from alone you coming to the Lord's table, right? Exactly, yeah. receiving yeah. from Christ the gifts He right. wants to give you. <laughs> that reminds me of the example this past summer. I had a twelve-year-old come to our congregation. I didn't want to make her wait till she's sixteen to come to the Lord's table, and yet we have a four-year confirmation curriculum. So right. what did I do? I said, if you come every Sunday and you FaceTime with me and you work on this stuff at home, I'm going to condense four years into four months. And bonus, it allows me to actually bring the catechism back into the adult Bible study Sunday morning. So now everybody's going to benefit from you being here. Right. And so rather than p- making her feel like this is a burden or somehow she's upsetting our pious apple cart, I saw it as this is just a huge gift waiting to be opened up, not just for your, for her, but for me as a pastor, for our congregation, for the other confirmands, for the Sunday school even. It was a huge summer for us in just because this one girl came to church. Isn't that something? Yeah. It's, yeah. So it's no small thing because when the reputation is destroyed, essentially what we've done is we've said that's not a human. Mm. And even more important, he or she is not a Christian or at least not as Christian as I am or yeah. we are, Yeah. which is, I mean, you might as well just say, call that person a Nazi at that point, <laughs> because that's what, that's what we do when we call, when you see that happening in, in, in society, well, you're a Nazi. Like that's the new N word, right? Nazi is the new N word. You're all you're saying is you're not worthy of the designation human being. You're less than human. You're a subhuman. So when we destroy someone's name and reputation, we're dehumanizing them. And now all of a sudden, it becomes that much easier to say, well, Jesus didn't die for you, or yeah. he didn't die for your sin because you're not one of those sinners for whom he died. You're not a real person. Hmm. And again, what is a greater rejection of of the word of God than the fact that you say you're not a human and therefore not worthy to come to the table? Hmm. And all it takes is just putting down someone's name or reputation. Right. Well, And I, again, as you know or are about to learn, in a small community, if there's nothing to gossip about, people will invent stuff to gossip about. Right. Right. But if they are going to gossip about anything, let it be... Um, those things that you that you did for the sake of the gospel yes, to bring the gospel to exactly. people, exactly. Not to yes. not to prevent those from receiving. Let it be, yeah. Let it be sanctified gossip, right? So, did you hear what Pastor did? <laughs> you know, right? Yeah. Because here's the funny thing. Then yesterday, right before church, uh, my council chair came in and said, "My neighbor's friend is having a baby, and the baby's going to die." 
It's it's got so many birth defects. There's so many abnormalities mm. and malformations. It's going to die as soon as it's born. It can't live on its own. Not even machines could keep this baby alive. Can I call her and tell her that you want to come baptize the baby? Hmm. I'm like, uh, why are you even asking me? <laughs> like, of course, you know better than that. You should have told her when she asked the first time. And he said, oh, I did. I just wanted to ask you to make sure that it was okay. <laughs> Your reputation is one of those guys who uh, yes. who likes to baptize and let God figure it out. Exactly. And that's my point is that in the community, then they may not think much of my religion. They might not think much of the way that I dress in a black shirt and collar or so forth. They might not think much of the church, but by way of reputation, they know I'm the pastor who's going to show up if they need him. If they need a pastor, I'm the guy. You're the guy who's going to preach at uh, the suicide. For example. I am always the guy who preaches at the suicide or visits the guy in prison mm-hmm. or goes to the rehab center or goes to the women's shelter, whatever it may be. I'm that guy. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And that's the reputation that I want. And so what I pray every day, I pray against myself because those are the hard calls. Those are the calls that get me judged, by the way, yeah. by both the community and other Christians. Those are the ones who get me you know, uninvited from all of the best groups. <laughs> right. Well, and we talked about this actually in a previous episode with in regards to Nuremberg, right? And how yes. the, the, the yes. most villainous person at Nuremberg was the chaplain who forgave right. the sins. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh, yeah. It's rough, man. But as we said, the Lord's Prayer is where the, th- where the theologian of the cross is made and where he lives. Mm-hmm. So to continue then, Father, in and through Jesus Christ, I know that all the power of the enemy has been overcome. Even though I will be assaulted by these evils of body and soul and property and honor, I am your child because of Christ's death for me. His sacrifice for sinners and his resurrection from the dead are my certain hope against all these things. This is why I pray, Father, that you may not let any of these things that come against me prevent me from trusting in Christ or prevent me from receiving my eternal inheritance. Against every evil that I face, lay up the truth of my baptism into your name. There it is. I was waiting for it. Mm -hmm. Place the sure words of holy absolution against every hindrance and attack of my enemies. Put the preaching of Christ crucified for me as the front-line defense against every assault of the devil, world, and flesh. Give me Christ himself in his body and blood, that he may live in me and raise me up on the last day. Triumphant over every enemy and evil, safe in him who is my Savior. Forgive me for every sin of doubt and unbelief that believes these evils can destroy me. Teach me that in Jesus Christ, nothing that is evil can truly harm me, and that he himself is my deliverance from every evil. Let this always be my confidence. Something I haven't mentioned yet, um, but I'm sure you've caught it, is mm-hmm. the language of, this, of these prayers. Um, mm-hmm. They're active. They are very active. They're fighting words. But who's running the verbs? Yes. There's Who's lots of verbs and they're the action verbs. words, but but they're not yours. No, and we, you pointed this out too. They jump back and forth between the verbs that we take ownership of, sin, doubt, unbelief, mm-hmm. and the verbs that you pointed out the Lord takes control of, which are the verbs of salvation. Right. Always. But I mean, a prayer is a petition of God. 
And first article verbs yeah. too. Yes. So I mean, here you had um, you know put the preaching of Christ, give mm-hmm. me Christ Himself, forgive me, yes. teach me, yes. even let this always be my confidence is asking God to do it, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's beautiful. And it's it's through and through the rescue me, protect yeah. me, yes. deliver me, um, yeah. which which is what the prayer is all about. It, and it should it should. Um, it should deliver or rescue us from thoughts that we can accomplish any of these things, right? Right. Why would we pray otherwise? <laughs> Why would we pray otherwise? <laughs> for, for a li- spiritual pick me up, yeah. Uh, for a little help, some sort of from feel a friend, good. yeah. Mm. Lord, warm the cockles of my heart, <laughs> whatever it may be. Inspire me. <laughs> this is great stuff. This is really good, you know. And and for the sake of full disclosure, because. Again, it's one of those confessions. When we sat down to do this, we decided we'll do two 30-minute episodes of this podcast because they're basically infomercials for this book. Go buy the book. So we'll do 30 minutes, and then we'll get back to the Galatians commentary because that's where we want to be. Because Luther's awesome too, right? Because Luther's awesome, exactly. And as we got into that first reading from the last episode, I got done, and once we got off air, I said, I can't, this is amazing. This is so good, so good. And I I, I repent of ever doubting Pastor Buto. <laughs> I love you, Mark, you know that. Um, but this, again, is such a perfect example of how well thought out this Catechism Prayer Book is, how valuable and useful this is, how you could do Bible studies on these prayers. Mm-hmm. This is for pastoral care. This is liturgical prayer this is for devotions in any situation that i can think of because we haven't even read all the way through this petition we're not going to but just what we've read i mean like you pointed out there's enough in just the couple paragraphs we read to keep you occupied for months man years even yeah this is you could chew on this this is so meaty well, and he's I drawing from, like we said in the last episode he's drawing on so many sources that they're not right. quoted um or they are quoted; they're not being cited, and mm-hmm. and uh, you could reflect on all those things. I mean, think about a yes, even a brief yes. class where maybe you did like we've done <laughs> 50, 50 some minutes where mm-hmm. where you would pray it and then meditate upon the meditation, and yeah. and then where and or maybe even just say here's um, here's the scriptures that that he's right. referencing. So right. that'll be the next edition. You should tell uh, Pastor Finker to do a, a cross-reference edition. <laughs> yeah. He'll appreciate that, I know. Because <laughs> this As was so many years. As he got done with this, he texted me and said, oh, I can hardly wait to do a second edition with annotations. <laughs> that's exactly what, yeah, that's exactly what I'm asking for. Look at that. I, I do believe his words were something to the effect of, dear God, don't ever let me do this again. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good. Uh, we can test somebody else who's uh, more uh, analytical and uh, you know has a lot of time on their hands. Yes, absolutely. So uh, that about wraps it up. Um, shout out to Brother Bill. He was a vicar for us mm-hmm. at uh, Higher Things this past summer. He's at the Fort Wayne Seminary and he listens to the podcast. Uh, I want to give him a shout out for some feedback he gave us that was very helpful. Yeah. And to all of you who listen to the podcast, who email us and give us feedback, um, we truly appreciate it. It's wonderful to get that feedback. Go check out the Catechism Prayer Book at Higher Things. Order it in Kindle or soft copy. Get it for your friends and family. Get it for your pastor and your congregation. Links in Buy the show several notes. Links in the show notes, man. Um, 
And if you would like us to come back to the Catechism Prayer Book in the future, send us a text or email uh, letting us know. Otherwise, go leave a positive review for us at iTunes to bump us up so more eyes get on the podcast. And support the podcast by sharing it with friends and family. Share the link. Email the link to folks. Put it in front of their ears. We truly appreciate it. We do. And that's why we do this. Mm -hmm. So come back next week, and I have a feeling we're going to be reading Galatians again. Dr. Luther's lectures on Galatians. We'll get into that. So thank you. We appreciate you, as always. We love you, and we will see you again next time. Peace. Peace.